chapter 9. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, and as we went through chapter 8, we saw Paul dealing with the problem of ethical issues of behavior. And specifically, they were asking him about, should you, is it okay to eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols? That was a big topic for them. For us today, it might not be, but for us, there are other issues that we need to decide whether something's okay for Christians. Maybe the Bible doesn't say anything specifically about it, but, you know, you still have to deal with it. I, we get these questions all the time. On Thursday, I was on um, Pastor's Perspective with Pastor Chuck, and somebody called up and asked, you know, what does the Bible say about buying lottery tickets? Well, Bible doesn't really say anything about buying lottery tickets, and there are all sorts of other issues that are that way too. But in chapter 8, Paul talked about this and said, you know, you may have a right to do something, but it doesn't mean necessarily that you could do it. You need to consider how your actions affect others, and, and love should be the, the rule of what's permissible for you and what's not permissible. So he lays out these principles. Well, he's continuing the discussion here in chapter 9, but he's now applying it specifically to his own situation in some different areas, and specifically the area of um, whether or not you could be married as a pastor. He makes it clear that he isn't, but that he could be. He talks about whether a pastor ought to get paid or not as he serves in the ministry, and some areas like this. And so, again, in the context of the overall discussion, Paul addresses some of these issues. The reason he chose the issues that he chose at this point, and it got rather personal, was because Paul had been under attack. People had been questioning him and saying, he's not as good as some of the other pastors. Earlier in the book, remember, they were saying, some of them were saying, oh, I am of Apollos. Apollos is a, a better preacher than Paul. Oh, I am of Peter, because Peter's been around a lot longer than Paul has, was with Jesus from the beginning. And so they had these little rivalries, and quite often Paul came under attack in terms of his credibility as an apostle, especially because he he was a Johnny-come-lately. In order to be an apostle, you had to have seen Jesus after his resurrection, and Paul did, but it was only as he was on his way up to Syria to persecute Christians, he didn't have the opportunity before Jesus died to be able to be with him, and so it always made him a little suspect. Later on, the whole book of 2 Corinthians was written so that Paul could defend his apostleship. But here he indulges in it a little bit, but in the process teaches us some really important lessons too. So beginning with verse 1, chapter 9, he says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? There were some people who were saying he was really legalistic. Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? You know I have. Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. He said, okay, people are questioning my apostleship. We'll talk about that. People are questioning whether or not I'm legitimate. We'll see about that. People are saying that, oh, because I'm not on full-time staff of a church, that therefore I'm somehow inferior. 
People are saying, well, because I'm not married, there must be something wrong with me. He goes, I've ministered to you guys. You shouldn't be questioning whether or not I'm for real because God has used me in your life. All you have to do is look in the mirror and know that I'm the real thing, that God has used me to minister to you. And so he says that personally, but then in verse 3 he says, now, my defense to those who examine me is this. He said, if somebody wants to question whether or not I'm really hearing from God, whether or not I'm really an apostle, let's explain a few things. First of all, in verse 4, do we have no right to eat and drink? Is that what you're saying? Basically, they were suggesting that he was inferior because the church wasn't paying him. Now, Paul was paid by different churches, but in the case of Corinth, they never did pay him. And so while he was there, he worked making tents. He worked a secular job. So there were people there who were saying, well, you're not really a full-time missionary, therefore you're not to be taken seriously. So he says, don't I have a right to eat? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife? I mean, couldn't I get married if I, if I wanted to? As do also the other apostles. Apparently most of the other apostles were married. Paul wasn't. The brothers of the Lord, that is James and Jude, who were now leaders in the church, but they were physical half-brothers of Jesus. They were the offspring of Mary and Joseph after Jesus had been born. When Jesus was alive, they didn't believe in him, but after the resurrection, they had come to faith in him, and James became a leader in the church in Jerusalem. Now, the Catholics believe that Mary was perpetually a virgin. That is, she only had Jesus, and that was it. But the Bible makes it really clear that Mary went on to have other children, and those guys are married. And then he said, and Cephas, the guy that's your hero, Peter, the first pope, he's married too. So don't I have a right to get married, he says? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? I mean, because we work, you're going to look down on us like we're not entitled to be compensated for ministry. Now, this, even to this day, is sometimes controversial. Who should be paid in the ministry? And how much should they be paid and those kinds of things? And it was an issue even in those days. But now he goes into all of the reasons why that he said he had a right to be paid. He had a right to be supported in order to do the ministry that he was doing. So he says, first of all, just common sense, verse 7, whoever goes to war at his own expense... When you sign up to fight in a war, you buy all your own stuff when you come? He goes, of course not. If you're going to join the army, the army's going to take care of you. He goes on, who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat of its fruit? Of course. If, it, if you're planting the vineyard, you can eat the food that comes forth from the vineyard. Or who tends a flock and doesn't drink of the milk of the flock? These are just common sense things. He says, do I say these things as a, as a mere man? He goes, this is just common sense, so do you think I'm just saying this as a person? Or does not the law say the same also? Not only would it be common sense for me to be compensated, Paul says, but how about the law? For, verse 9, it is written in the law of Moses, over in Deuteronomy 25, quote, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. 
That was the rule that they had, that when an ox was grinding the grain, was taking the wheat and crunching it so that it could be separated from the chaff, they said the law was don't put a muzzle on the mouth of the ox. Allow it to nibble at the grain as it's working. It's, it's a fair and reasonable and humane thing to allow that provision to take place. And that was a principle of the law. So he said, is it oxen God is concerned about, or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. In other words, what God was saying was, hey, if you're involved in the production of this, then you should expect to be able to be compensated for it. So then he goes on to say, if we have sown spiritual things for you, he personalizes it, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? In other words, hey, I've ministered to you. Is it really that outrageous for you to to pay me for doing that, to support me so that I could continue to do that? If others are partakers of this right over you, apparently they were giving donations to other ministries, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Now, this is kind of the point that he gets down to. He says, I have a right to be paid, but not for one second have I insisted on that right. Have I even asked for that right? I'm teaching you about it now, but hey, the gospel is way more important to me than I'm going to make an issue of this. It's not about money to me. Now, he's made the point pretty well, but he's still not done. He keeps going on, and he says in verse 13, Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? So he goes, even in Jewish rites here in the temple, the guys who, the Levites and the priests, they're compensated as they serve in this way. Here's another reason, another principle, not only common sense, not only Jewish law, but current religious practice among the Jews. Verse 14, even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So he goes, if that's not enough for you, Jesus himself said this, probably referring back to Matthew 10 and verse 10, where when Jesus sent his disciples out, he said, don't take money with you because a workman's worthy of his hire. In other words, as you preach the gospel, you will be provided for by the people. So Paul's saying, look, here are all the reasons why a pastor ought to get paid. It's common sense. It's like you do it for soldiers, you do it for farmers, you do it for other people. It was the principle under the law. It's the current practice in Judaism, and it's been commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, for him to make this kind of a case was no doubt uncomfortable for him. And even with less doubt, it was uncomfortable for them, feeling put on the spot, because they had not taken care of him, as he's making a strong case that they should have. 
And so it was rather embarrassing to them as he's laying this whole thing down and he's going, you know, I minister to you guys. I was there for several years ministering. You never paid me. Now, whenever you guys get in a big mess, you still call me and I'm still solving your problems. Often I'm doing without other churches or supporting me and you aren't, but I ministered to you. Boy, what a perfect pitch to take an offering. What a great time to go, you know, I mean, this would have been good. Let's just do the offering a little in the middle of the service. And we do all these things, and it's like, now we're going to take a love offering for Dave. You know, let's do, bring it on. Let's time for, come on, some of you, I didn't get any money for Pastor Appreciation Day. It's cough it up, you know. And that's kind of, and in our culture, we see so much of this that we're not even surprised when it happens. We're so used to people who are in ministry who, for them, it's about the money. For them, it's just expected that when you see somebody who's doing God's work, they're going to be standing there with their hand out going, give me, give me. And with so many ministries, now their main cause is raising money. Ministries that started out doing wonderful things, and they continue to do wonderful things. But now they have to put tons of money into just raising the money in order to keep doing the ministry that they're doing. And we're kind of used to that. And so this pitch sounds like something that would fit perfectly in that framework. But he doesn't stop there. He says in verse 15, but I have used none of these things. I had those rights, but I haven't, I'm not calling in my chips now. Nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. He said, I'm not saying this so that I'll hear from you with the present. For it would be better for me to die. I'd rather starve to death than that anyone should make my boasting void. That is, that the pleasure that I have found in doing what God has called me to do, I wouldn't want that to be wiped out by me standing here with my hand out, mooching money off of you, appealing to your sense of guilt and responsibility and for me to cash into it. He goes, you know, right now I'd rather die than take an offering from you guys. I'm telling you, though, this because there are some important principles for you to understand. And the point is not send me your money or my ministry is going to end. The point is not, oh, poor me, I don't have enough. He goes, you know, I'd rather die than to have that attitude come across. Four, verse 16, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. In other words, he's saying, I don't put a price on the gospel because the gospel is my job. Sharing the truth of Jesus Christ is just what I do. And the truth is, I'm not doing it for the money. I'm not doing it as a professional move. In fact, I'm doing it because I can't do anything else, really. I am compelled to preach the gospel. Woe is me if I don't do it. This is not something that I'm just doing because I'm a nice guy. This is what I do, period. And it's not at all connected to the money that I receive. I would rather die than to even have people think that what I'm doing is trying to get money by serving God. He goes, no, I, I'm doing this because 
God has called me to do it, and it's what I do, and it's what I'll always do. Whether anyone pays me or not, Paul's attitude was, hey, woe is me if I don't preach, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. So he says, if you do something willingly, you don't have to do it and you do it, okay, there's a blessing to that, there's a reward to that. But if I'm doing something that I have to do, it's my job to do it, it's not a reward, that's a paycheck. So he says, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Let me interpret that a little bit. Here's what's going on. Paul is teaching us a principle that says, you will be rewarded. Now, whether that means an eternal reward in heaven or blessings here on earth or whatever, it's when you willfully do something for the Lord that you're rewarded. But if you're just doing it as an obligation, as a job, then your reward is your paycheck. You have your reward. The Scripture talks a lot about this and, and about how God wants us to offer freely of ourselves who we are for Him, that He doesn't want it to be a business arrangement. Here's how it works. Look at how you and I purchase gifts for others on holidays. Doesn't it sometimes become almost just like paying a bill? You know, okay, I'm expected to buy presents for these people because they got presents for me. And they spent about this much, so I should spend about that much. Sometimes we get so mercenary about it that you talk to the family and go, okay, look, let's quit playing this game. Let's just draw names. Everyone will buy a present for one person. Keep it under 20 bucks. We'll draw names and, and you know, I'll buy you something because I got your name. And, you get, and let's not even pretend like I'm trying to bless you. I love you. I was thinking of you. <laughs> I wasn't thinking of you. I just drew your name here. And, and then if we're going to do that, it's like, why not? Let's just make it 100 bucks and do it cash. Let's all trade, and if somebody doesn't play, send mom over to collect, you know, and it's like, is that what gift giving is supposed to be like? Is that, is, does that really touch you when someone, you know, when you give someone a gift and they go, ooh, I have one for you too, and they run in the back and you hear them shuffling around and, and re-gifting something to you, and, and you're like, oh, thanks, I'm really touched, you know. God laid it on your heart to give everyone you know a fruitcake. What a neat, you know. Well, I guess I won't be getting any fruitcakes this year. But nowadays, it's like with gift certificates and money and whatever, it's like gifting is so often now more like paying a bill than it is like really out of your heart wanting to give. And so often, we do that with God. I think when people teach a real rigid, you have to give 10% to God, which I don't think is a biblical teaching in the New Testament. But when you do that, it's like, okay, let's calculate what I owe God. I'm paying my rent, I'm paying my electricity, and I'm paying God. Here you go, God, there's your 10%. I had a friend who told me one time that his goal in life was to, was to make 
you know, $10 million. And I go, really? I mean, that's, your goal is just to put numbers on paper, that's it? He goes, I go, don't you think God might have something higher for you to do with your life? And he goes, look, as long as he gets his million, then I'm, I can do whatever I want with the rest of it. And that was the idea. I'll give fine. I'll tip God. I'll give him what he needs. Now, sometimes we can get into that kind of a mentality when it comes to serving God. And we just do what we need to do. We do where, you know, we go where there's a, a great need. And it really becomes complicated when you are in the professional ministry, so-called. When you do spend your time, full-time, serving God, it's, it can just become like a job. It can just become, like, it's no longer something that you're offering to God. It can become something that, well, you're just doing it because you're paid to do it. And nowadays, it's not unusual in churches for there to be hundreds, maybe even thousands of employees because we go, okay, when we need something done, we better just pay somebody to do it. Whereas it used to always be thought that, hey, everybody who's a part of a church will chip in and help out, and that's considered to be a blessing. Today, we just cut to the chase, like gift exchanges. And we just go, you know what? Let's just hire people to do it. We'll all throw a little extra money on the plate, pay them, don't bother me. But as Paul was going, you know, it's not, that's not how it is. Now, at the same time, he makes an eloquent defense for the fact that sometimes there are people who are so busy full-time in serving God that it makes sense to pay them so that they can devote so much of their time to God. But Paul said, if that happens and I'm getting paid, I don't expect to be rewarded for it. I just turned into someone who got hired, and that's okay. But for Paul, he goes, the blessing for me is, as he says, my reward is when I preach the gospel, I can present it without charge. So that's a, that's a pretty heavy truth. Paul goes, if I was getting paid, I'd still preach the gospel, and I have to preach the gospel. But he said, I don't have to do it for nothing. But I choose to do it and to support myself in order to do it because I am blessed for being able to do that. Now, what does that have to do with everyone else? You make a good doctrine of the fact that pastors should get paid, but is that really what he's talking about? No. The principle here is, a, is an important one, and it is serving God is a huge privilege. And he doesn't want us to do it primarily as something that we're doing for money. If, if the money affects at all the way you would do it or that you wouldn't do it, then you're not fit to do it. But he says, if people don't pay you when they should, that's your opportunity for a double blessing. Now, I know some people who their whole life is about serving God, and, and yet they aren't on staff anywhere. They aren't paid to do it. But they've, through decisions that they've made and money that they've earned in the past or whatever, they can afford to just serve God, and that's the passion of their heart. But, you know, they do it all the time, and they don't get paid. I believe those people are going to be rewarded. They will be in this life. They'll be blessed. And in the future, I believe that God will reward them. For me, I'm a pastor. I get paid to do what I do. I don't expect to get to heaven and find out, wow, look how I'm being rewarded for pastoring a church. 
I'm paid to pastor the church. Now, don't get me wrong. I love it. I, I, I love every second of it. I would do it if tomorrow this church couldn't afford to pay me. I'd still be here. I would still be doing what God has called me to do. I'd be happy to do it without money. It would mean I'd find some outside employment, and I'd be able to continue to serve God. But the truth is, that which I'm rewarded for here, and I'm taken care of well, I don't expect to be rewarded by God later. So what I need to do is find a way. How can I do extra? How can I do that which isn't expected of me? My attitude isn't, I wonder how many hours, what's the fewest hours I could work whereby people will not fire me, whereby they'll, they'll think I'm doing a good job. So I'm like, okay, so a real efficient thing to do would be basically people expect me to show up on Sunday, preach three services, show up Wednesday and preach a service. You know, boy, if I got on the internet and download other people's messages, I could do this with a couple hours of preparation. It'd be awesome. And the people are getting what they're paying for, and I have lots of extra time to do other stuff. Or I can take the attitude, first of all, I want to do this as unto the Lord. He's watching me every second that I put into it, every effort that I put out is something that I'm offering to him. But also, I don't want to see what's the bare minimum that I can get away with. I'm looking for opportunities to be able to minister in ways that aren't my job. So when something happens whereby I run into someone who has nothing to do with our church and I have an opportunity to spend an hour or two talking with them and praying with them, I'm excited about that. Not because it's my job, but because it isn't my job. And I just get to do it anyway. And I know that God will reward me. I don't log it on my time card. I don't put in for time and a half if I log extra time. Not at all. I'm looking for ways to go above and beyond the call of duty. And that should be all of our hearts, really. What can I do for the Lord? What can I do in serving him that I'm not paid for, that I'm not expected to do, that isn't just my usual duty? Because when you do that, God rewards you. It's funny, over all the years I've been involved in ministry, there have been times when I was paid well. There have been other times when I was paid peanuts. Funny thing is, sometimes when I was paid the least was when God rewarded me the most. It was when he blessed me in, in crazy ways. I think of the time when, you know, we were not knowing where we were going to live. We had one baby, another one on the way, and we couldn't afford rent, and, and we're, go, we're sitting there praying and looking for a house to rent, and, and Ann goes, Dave, I'm going to pray that God will give us a place for free. And I go, that's stupid. Don't, you're wasting, we're not going to get a place for free. Come on, pray for something, you know, under $1,000 or something. I can get so mad, especially when she's right. And, and it was like less than a day later, and the, somebody called and, and wanted us to live in their house for free. And, was, like, uh, and do you think that made me feel like, you know, it's time to get a new job? It made me feel like, you know, it's amazing. God pays me better than any church ever will. God compensates me better than I could ever. If I was working the best secular job I'd be qualified for, God takes care of me better than that. And I love how he does that. And 
it should never be for us about money because all money does is, in a way, cheapen what we're doing. And it's a blessing to get ripped off in this world. It really is. If there's ever been a time when you served God and you weren't appreciated, if there's ever a time when you do something for the Lord and nobody notices, and you feel like, boy, it'd be nice if they would at least put my name on a plaque. It'd be nice if they would at least bring me up in front of the church and thank me for all that I'm doing, but they don't appreciate anything. Man, you should be so excited because what you do for the Lord from your heart that nobody appreciates, that nobody pays you for, God sees it, and he's writing it down. And he says, I am going to make this worth your while. I am going to even up all the accounts. And so Paul said to the Corinthians, yeah, you guys ripped me off, really, but you know what? I'm happy because it was another opportunity for me to glory, to rejoice, to be rewarded because I'm showing that I'm not doing what I'm doing for money. I'm doing it for a higher purpose, a higher calling, and God's taking care of me. One of the biggest favors somebody can do for you is to not give you appreciation, is to not pay you, is to not give you what you've earned. 